This morning, I want to uh, move to the third part of our dealing with this culture war. We talked about the first two using the story of Daniel as our backdrop and how our culture and, and what is it that we're having to, to fight against and how do we fight. I, the first two weeks, we dealt more with how you have to establish yourself. How you have to establish yourself. We talked about your character, how Daniel went in chapter 2 and how he was able to ask the right questions. He was able to wait for an answer. He was able to speak that answer in front of the king. He was able to do all of those things. And in chapter 2, or, or the second week, last week, we dealt with having a good image, an understanding of an image of yourself. Being able to, when we look at ourselves, to be able to say, what is my name? What is my image? What is my likeness? Daniel had to defend that in his culture. And you will have to. I saw a t-shirt yesterday that, that says, love, care, and the third part, accept. And I thought, those three are really don't go together. The Bible says the wounds of a friend are a good thing. Someone who loves you enough to tell you the truth. But our culture now is, is in an enormous war. It's even in a war among itself. I get, I'm going to say tickled, but I get kind of like, okay, here you go. Because I grew up in the 80s and the 90s where women's lib was the big thing. And, and equality and all of this. And that was a... Great, great movement in a lot of ways. I agree that if ladies and men are doing the same job, they should be treated equally at businesses and different things. I don't think men and women need to be going to the bathroom together. I don't, there are certain lines I'm going to draw. I'm sorry, hate to break it to you. But I thought there was some good in anything that you bring up like that. And then there's also the fringe group that wants to take it way over to the other side. And I lived through that and some, and some good things took place. Now we've reached the point where the transgender, the because if we're going to keep helping everybody, so now we got a problem because we've had Title IX and female sports and all of this, and man, that's wonderful. The girls got to go to college and play sports. Well, now the only problem is men that think they're girls can play in girls' sports. So now you got men out swimming women because they dress like a girl when they swim. And they can play, play them in basketball or volleyball. In volleyball the other day, one was playing volleyball and broke the girl's nose on the other side. I'm like, duh. You put a grown man playing volleyball with a girl, guess what's going to happen? And now they're confused among themselves because now they're fighting among themselves of what laws need to be passed. To... Because what it creates when we open these doors and we walk away from truth and we just say, let's accept anything. Well, we end up like Chicago with hundreds of kids running around on the middle of the street at night, breaking windows and shooting and killing three people. And one group is like, we need, to, we need to do something with the law. And another group is sitting there saying, they're just kids. They're kids that's killing people, but they're just kids. Well, then somebody need to take a belt off. We just need about 1,000 cops to take their belts off and start whooping folks until they get right. If they're kids, we're going to treat them like kids then. But no, we need to accept and the world we live in is just confused, and it's getting more confused every day. And guess what? We get to live in it. We're walking around like, duh. I can fix the problem, but you're not going to like the answer. And it all comes from one basic 
problem that we as Christians, here again, the first two weeks was what we need to be, our character, how we answer, how we, how we stand, how we reverent, how we respect everybody, how we do things in the right way, how we have our identity, who we're going to, you can be whatever you want to be. I know what I'm going to be. I know how I'm going to live. I know the name I'm going to claim. I'm not living by any name that you're going to give me. I've established that, but how do I live in this crazy culture? Where drag queens want to teach in the library, read books to kids. How do I live in that culture? And the same library is when a Christian wants to say, I'll come this Saturday and read a book. No, we don't want you. How do we live in this culture? You know, I'm going to do wonderful when it gets on Facebook. I'm the, probably the Facebook king by now. How do we live in this culture? Well, go with me to James, the book of James, chapter 4. And let me start us off by understanding what is going on. What is happening in our culture? It all comes down to one particular mindset that creates the problem. Here's what the Bible says. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Where do they come from? Where do fights, wars, disputes, trouble, where does all the chaos come from? Do they not come from your desires for what? For pleasure that war in your members. In other words, there's something you want, but it don't fit. There's something you, you want to have, but you're not supposed to have it. There's something you'd like to do, but you ain't supposed to do it. And so there's this war now inside members, inside the world, inside our, our culture that's, that's constantly fighting because yet you do not have because you do not ask. What do you mean? Well, you're asking the wrong people. You're asking the wrong direction. Here's what James says. You're lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and you still can't obtain it. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask, do not receive because you ask amiss. You're asking for the wrong stuff. You're asking for stuff I've done said no to. No is an answer. Can I do this? No. But see, we've raised our culture in such a way that if our children come to us and say, can I do this? No. Oh, come on now. You're going to be... All right, fine. Just do it anyway. See, our culture has done taught people that no is not an answer. It just means you've got to try harder. That if you don't like the answer, just scream louder. That's why you can't have debates anymore. Because if one doesn't like what you think, they already think they're right. They're just going to shout you down, criticize you. James says, you'd think James lived like in Morton. Or Forest. I didn't mean it that way. I just meant you'd think he lived, he lived down the street. Man, y'all killing me this morning. Shall I go back and read verse 1? You have not because you... Where do wars and all this stuff come from? We'll just say he's from Lake, okay? Does that make everybody feel better? No, Elise is like, no. See, I'd have made that, that side bad. So James is, let's just say he's from somewhere. James is, is pretty accurate. He said, you ask, you don't receive because you ask amiss. That you may spend it on your... If you get it, all you're going to do is chew it up and come back for something new. Like I said, I grew up in the 80s, and if we'd have just got that right, that would have fixed the world, right? Now we're in the 90s, that's going to fix the world. 2000s. If we ever get this, this problem we got right now situated with, with gender problem, then we're going to be all fixed up, Right? No, because you eat it up. Because you eat it out of your lust. 
You want it because it's, it's what you're fueling your life with. I use the things of the world to keep my life fun, exciting, worth living. Verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Do you not know that anything in this world you decide to love will create an enemy in God? Anything you choose in this world, you say, I love this. Then it automatically becomes an enemy between you and God in that area. You can, you can say, I love Ole Miss football. Or I love Mississippi State football. Let's be honest, neither one of you can say the whole praise when they do the song at the end. Huh? Because states end with go to, you can't, but that's your team, so that's who you are. And then, Lord knows, we don't even want to go to what Ole Miss sings. I don't see how a Christian can sit in that stadium. But see, to be friends with the world means that you have to draw a line and decide we will be enemies with God here. Don't shout me down if I'm preaching too good. So you, you pick and choose the things that you want to say, well, I'll, I'll, me and God will just have to be enemies there. Me and God are just going to have to see it differently on that. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of anything in this world you choose, that you choose to love, that you choose to, to, to care for. It doesn't matter if it's food, doesn't matter if it's entertainment, doesn't matter if it's whatever it is. Just know that it automatically creates an enmity, it creates an enemy in that area with God. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns? Why do you think that when you do something that's not right or you act in a way, why do you think there's that feeling that comes from the inside of you? It's because there's jealousy that is in the Spirit. He is jealous for your... That's, that's part of your protection. When I'm doing something I shouldn't do, the Spirit jealously says, what are you doing? You don't love me? Why are you cheating on me? So we don't see it that way, but do I need to go back earlier where it says, adulterers and adulteresses? That's what you are. You're an adulterer. You're an adulteress. You have chosen something in this world to have an affair with. To say, I love this more than I love God. This is going to hurt. But I didn't write it. So don't get mad at me. James lives somewhere in Scott County. I don't know where. We're going to find out. Or do you think the Scripture says in vain that the Spirit is jealous that's why when he's in you and he's telling you, don't do that, do you think, oh, well, it's not going back. You just committed adultery. You cheated on the one that you said you loved. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the, the proud, but gives grace to the Okay, let's, let's go back to that verse. But he gives more grace. What is grace? The ability to do what I cannot do where? In myself. If I will cling to grace, claim grace, for where sin abound, grace does much more abound. So grace, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the so don't tell me you can't help yourself. Don't tell me I, I, I just couldn't. No, no. You're strong enough. You just have to run to grace. 
So when people come to me and say, well, pastor, you know what? Then run to grace. Well, brother Lot, you know I struggle. Run to grace. Well, you know I've tried. Run to grace. Keep running to grace. If you keep saying, I keep falling here, it's not that you're a bad person. You're just a person. But the fact is, you have to finally make a choice. Am I going to run to grace or am I not going to, and I'm just in my own pride, going to say, that's just the way I am. If you do, then understand God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the Gives grace to the humble. Verse 7. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will. How do I give the devil fits every week when I tell y'all? Go give the devil fits. How are you going to do it? Find that area where God says, don't commit adultery. Find that area where the devil says, hey, commit adultery here. Find that area Run to grace, resist the devil, and watch him give the devil fits. I'd much rather see him run than me. That is your weapon. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He has to get away from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to... Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will... You know the worst thing I used to hate, the best thing I ever got? Was my whoopings. The best thing, of all the things I remember in my life, I cannot tell you what candy bars my dad bought me at Quick Stops, and I cannot, but I can remember all five of the whoopings I got in my life. I can number them, tell you how each one of them happened, and tell you they were done in such a good way, it was never a problem, him worried about me doing it again. That was all, that's all it took. So understand, go back with me to verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Otherwise, look what's going to happen, verse 8. Draw near to God, he will draw near, cleanse your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts, you double mind. So he's given us the, the prerequisite, here's what you need to do. Verse 9. Lament, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And then He will... See, it's one option or the other. There's one option or the other. Either there is humility or destruction. You're either going to humble yourself... Or you're going to live with the destruction of what you bring. That's the way life's going to be. Now, I live in a culture to where they love destruction. In fact, they are used to destruction. They're used to the calamity. They're used to this. So what what does our culture do to try and numb it or dumb it down so that it's okay? It says, let's just move on from here. Let's not talk about this. Let's not deal with this. Look, let's just not bring that up. God says, you know how you deal with it? You think about it. You lament over it. You cry about it a lot. You mourn until it makes you sick. And you humble yourself and tell God, I don't want to live like, I don't want to feel that. I don't want to embrace that anymore. Until you get there, 
You're always going to have the problem with what the Bible says in James 4, and that is pride. And God does what? He resists the proud. Why are you saying all this, Brother Lot? Because let me show it to you in Daniel. There's two stories that run side by side, and they're really the same story. They're chapter 4 and chapter 5, and you know I do not have time to, to nail all of that. But we're going to go through them very quickly, and I'm going to show you what our culture, what we have to live in, even though our character, even though I know my name, even though I'm trying to live the best I can, I'm trying to stay pure from this world. I'm trying, just like Daniel was in his time, I'm trying to be what I'm supposed to be in a culture that is constantly obsessed with the next thing, the next thing, and hasn't paid for the last thing. Here's what chapter 4 says, verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps they may be a lengthening of your prosperity. This is Daniel talking to King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar has one avenue in which God can talk to him. Do you know your avenue? Do you know the avenue in which God uses to talk to you? For me, it's the memory. For me, it's memory. That's mine. I have a hard time ever shaking things I've done or things that I did or things. And you would think that I would say, God, I know I've been forgiven. It's over. It's done. And I would just move on. But it is in those memories that God holds me to humility. For some of you, it's the pain of certain things, right? For some of you, God, you had to use pain to try to talk to you. You wouldn't listen no other way. So pain was the way he inflicted upon you. And it's like, oh. Some do better, some do worse. But all of us have a mechanism. And Nebuchadnezzar's was dreams. When, when God wanted to get across to Nebuchadnezzar, you're on the wrong path. He would start having these crazy dreams. He would start having all these crazy dreams and these crazy dreams would, 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 would come up and he would call, of course we know in chapter 2, he called the, all the magicians. He kept magicians around him. Oh, tell me what my dream means. Tell me what this means. Tell me, I saw a vision. Tell me what. So that bothered him and that's where he went. But he has a dream here that he can't understand. And in chapter 4, he dreams of a tree, a big tree, a fruitful tree. I mean, it is massive. Biggest tree he's ever seen. Fruit on this tree. I mean, it's got everything. In fact, animals live under this tree. Animals just, just live under it because they eat from the fruit that falls from it. They, they, every, life is good. This tree is everything. Except in his dream, somebody comes down and cuts the tree down. And says this tree's not gonna, mm -mm. this tree's not gonna stand. But I will put a, a band around the stump so that it can return. Maybe not fully, but it will return. Nebuchadnezzar can't understand this. And after he's asked several people, he finally calls in Daniel and he says, Daniel, I know that, that you can hear from the gods. And Daniel says, share your dream. And he does. And Daniel is hurt at this moment. I love this part of Daniel. If you want to know what makes Daniel so powerful, it's this moment. When Daniel hears what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was, 
Daniel, the Bible says, was silent for a long time and he did not want to answer. He's a slave. How many people you know that's, that's it's in bondage would think, oh, you finally going to get yours. But Daniel doesn't think this. The king says, Daniel, what is the interpretation? He says, king, if I give you this interpretation, it's to your hurt. People who don't like you are just going to, to, to laugh. People who don't like you are going to get, get, get a foothold. He said, it's okay, Daniel. Share it with me. Daniel shares the dream and he says, what is it? It is, you are the tree, O king. And you've become so big and so mighty and, 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 and you are, you are oh, there's no tree like you. He said, but you have become arrogant and proud. And God says, I won't stand for that. Remember James? God resists the proud. He said, but you've become proud and thinking it's all about you. And he says, you, you, you haven't treated the poor correctly and you haven't done what you're needed to do. And, and God is saying, what you're seeing as a dream is that I'm going to come down and I'm going to cut you off. And what's going to happen is you're going to lay there and you're going to, like the animals that were under the tree, you're going to have the dew on your back and you're going to live outside and you're going to eat grass and you're going to lose your mind for a certain amount of time. You've gone like a wild animal. Living outside like a donkey. You ain't even going to stay under a shed. The dew's going to sit on your back because you sleep outdoors. That's what's going to happen. He's going to humble you. And Daniel says, Therefore, O king, let my advice, let it, let it change your heart. Let it, oh, let it make you see that if you would just humble yourself, if you would just treat the poor better, if you would just... The Bible says the king did none of it. Twelve months later, he's walking out in his yard. He looks over and he starts bragging on himself. Look what I have done. Look what I have made. Look, look, at, look at all my accomplishments. Go, go to verse 34 through 37. And for a length of time, this is what has taken place. Until finally, after that time, the king comes to his senses. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. And my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honor him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand, nor say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. King Nebuchadnezzar is like most of us. We, we get prideful. We, we get to a point sometimes where, like this balloon, we just we see ourselves in a certain way. We, 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 we think of ourselves in a certain way. And, and, and the more stuff we do and the more stuff we become and the better we become and the better. And it's just like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? It's going to do what? So God says, look, I need to humble you. If you'll humble yourself and allow me I'll reduce the pride. I'll reduce it and it'll just keep. And in life, this is what we're constantly doing. We're constantly like this balloon. We, things happen and man, we just, man, I'm doing good. Hey, what are we going to do next weekend? Hey, where are we going on vacation next year? Man, I got a raise. Let's go eat. And we live our life like, 
It's all us. Imagine if God's looking down from heaven and all he could see was balloons. And we're all balloons that are swelling up. And the one thing that irritates God more than anything else in the world is a swole up balloon. And God says, every now and then I look down and I see one that's just got too big. And I have to resist it. But King Nebuchadnezzar was willing to humble himself. Even though God had to spank him, Nebuchadnezzar was willing to be humbled. Here again, we all have our own patterns. Mine's my past. And, and, and just memories or things that I've done wrong or, or things I didn't do enough of or whatever it might be. And God just uses that to poke me. When I think, I'm doing pretty good, God. Yeah, except for this and this and this. And I'm like, okay. And God says, there's times in my life like Paul, I'm like, God, take that away. Just take that, that away from me and I'll be so much better a Christian. If you just take that away from me, I'd be a better Christian. And God says the same thing he said to Paul. Tim, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. I like it when you say I can't do it. I like it when you say I need you. I like it when you say I won't make it without you because that invokes me into your life. Every time you say, I don't need you, God, I can figure it out, then pride takes hold. So Paul, even though Paul prayed three times, remove this thorn so I could be a better, God says, no. I'm going to use it to humble you, Paul. Humility is a whole lot better than what I had to do to you, Paul. And Paul said, I have learned to be thankful. You know what I've learned? I've learned to be thankful. I've learned to praise God right where in the middle of all of that and say, God, you get the glory. Now, why is that so important? Because I told you these two stories run together. That's the end of chapter 4. You know how chapter 5 begins? Go there with me. Chapter 5, verse 1. There's no, there's no death of Nebuchadnezzar. There's no, we jump right straight to his son. Next kingdom. These two stories run right together. Belshazzar, the king, this is, this is Nebuchadnezzar's son. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of a thousand. Oh, he was swole up. He was the king. I can do what I want to do. Now, he just saw his dad. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem. That the king and his lords and his wives and their concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the golden vessels that had taken from the temple of the house of God which had been in Jerusalem and the kings and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver and of bronze and of iron and of wood and of stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. The king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Now it's amazing how Nebuchadnezzar, God knew, if he would correct him, he'd be all right. You know, the hardest thing you're ever going to learn about the people you're around is that there's some people in this room today or some people you may work with or some people you may... And here's the thing. The problem will humble them. The, the disaster will, will, 
will make them change their way of thinking. But there's some people, there's some people that even if it happens to them, even if trouble comes, even if God uses whatever He needs to correct them, they will not humble themselves. And you need to know the difference. Because some of you young ladies in here, they're going to marry one day. You need to get this out of your mind. I'll fix him. Let me explain something to you. Dipstick that you're dating may not have the ability to humble himself. He's just a born dipstick. And the more problems he gets in, I don't know. And one day when he gets tired of messing with you, he's just going to leave and keep being a dipstick with somebody else. Some of you guys need to realize she's trouble. Her family tells you that she's trouble. Oh, it's all right. She does pretty good around me. Okay. You're going to find out she's trouble. That person you run with. Okay, I don't think I'd hang out with them. Oh, they're my friend. They wouldn't do nothing to hurt me. I wish I could carry you to prison today and sh- that you talk to people whose friends wasn't going to do anything to hurt them. Let me explain something to you. There are some people that even though you hurt them, or as God would put them in a bad position, they still will lie, cheat, manipulate, deflect, and never humble themselves. You know what we call them in America? Politicians. They deflect, lie, cheat, whatever they got to do. Ain't my fault. I don't know how that happened. Hey, vote for me again. We laugh at it on TV because those are people we don't know. Like, there's a bunch of idiots up there. But we know that they are. If one of them actually just told the truth one day, we'd all hit the floor. Because we expect it. Well, it's amazing to me that we don't expect the same thing James says. If, if I, in his prime, if Michael Jordan walked out in my gym and in his prime said, Tim, I'm going to play you one-on-one. And I'm like, let's get it on. Which one of us is going to win? Which one's going to win? Michael Jordan. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter. We look at those kind of things. If I, if I was to take my golf clubs back here and say, Tiger Woods, Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, all of them in their prime, I'm going to be the fourth. We're going to play four ball. And we're going to play from the black teams. Who's going to win? It ain't going to be me. Now, y'all have enough sense to know that. How is it that when God says, when you swell up with pride, I will resist you, how come you think you're going to beat God? Oh, I'd lie and get away with it. Huh? I can do what I want to. God just had to put up with it. What? If you've got enough sense to know you can't win against those earthly things, what makes you think you can win against heavenly? That's what Belshazzar does. He gets so swollen up with pride, he says, I whoop anything. I whoop. Bring the God's cups in here. And before you think, before you think, well, he didn't know. Go with me in your Bibles. Daniel 5, 
22 through 23. Belshazzar, now you've got to understand, when he became the ruler, he put Daniel out to retirement. We don't need Daniel anymore. He let him retire. In fact, when this handwriting got on the wall and nobody could figure out what it said, and, and, and he called all his magicians and all his Chaldeans and called all his friends in, nobody could to tell what it could mean. And then, guess what? The queen, the Bible says, his mama, his mama came in and said, uh, son, there used to be a man here that your daddy respected who could tell the truth. His name is Daniel. You need to call for him. And so he does. And he tells Daniel, he says, Daniel, if you tell me what's writing on this wall, I'll put a gold necklace on you. I'll put purple clothes on you. I'll make you a ruler of one third of this whole kingdom. Daniel says, you just keep your stuff. But I will tell you what it means. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your... You wouldn't humble your heart. Although you knew all of this. See, it's one thing for somebody to be ignorant, but it's another thing for you who sit in church every single week to know what you should be doing and to tell God, I ain't doing it anyway. Maybe Nebuchadnezzar could get away with it, but you can't. You're Belshazzar. You're the one who grew up in church. You knew what the Bible said. You knew that it said don't do that. You knew it said don't act like that. You knew it said not to lie. You knew it said not to go there. But you did it anyway. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You have brought the vessels of the house before you. And you and your lords and your wives and your concubine have drunk from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron. And Taylor Swift and Beyonce and BMW. And which do not see or hear or even know who you are. And the God who holds your breath in His hand owns all your ways. And Him you have not glorified. How do you live in a strange land? You have to be able to stand and defend the God who is the God of all in the middle of a world who's trying to find a God. And the closest one they can find is themselves. So when I see the t-shirt that says accept, I can say, no, that ain't part of my criteria. I can love you. I can care for you. I can speak the truth. I can do you no harm. I, I can tell you, you got nothing to worry about with me. You can do what you want to do. But when you say I got to accept it, you need to understand I'm not your problem. Your problem is with the God that you said, you say it and it must be true. No, even if I say it, it ain't true. God has done said he won't go with it. You have not glorified Him. So what happens? If pride just keeps swelling and swelling and swelling, I do what I want. Hey, I didn't get caught. Let's do it again. Hey, my parents will never find out. No one will ever know. Man, we ain't ever going to have any problems. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? God says, I'm the worst that can happen. Because there's no balloon that's ever lived that can defeat this. Oh, let me just tell you the end of the story. Daniel said, I'll read your writing. 
It says you've been weighed in the balance and you've been found short. He's just letting you know that payday's coming. And before morning you'll be dead. And the Medes and the Persians will be sitting on your throne. And you know what that dipstick had enough courage to do? He still put a gold necklace on Daniel. Still put a robe on him. Still told him you got a third of the kingdom. I can imagine Daniel standing there like, Some of the ways I look at y'all sometimes, I guess. What do you think's fixing to happen? And before morning, Belshazzar was dead. Let me tell you what you can't do. No matter how prideful you are, no matter how much hair gel you use, You can't win against God. And one of the things we do in this culture that we have to do, we have to get our character, our self right, so that at moments that the world is in confusion and disaster, we stand and say, serve God. Humble yourself before God. Repent before God. And He will lift you up. If you don't, then you're like a balloon fighting a knife. You're going to lose. That's not Tim Lott. That's God. And as hard as it is, this is what our culture, when you turn on the news, that's what they're fighting against. Those kids running around in Chicago, that's what they're fighting against. Those people that run into schools and shoot people, that's what they're fighting against. They want to be a God. And they don't want to humble themselves before Him. And every one of you in this room has that choice. And my prayer is that you make the right one. My prayer is that you choose to allow God to raise you up as you humble yourself before Him. Will you stand? I don't mean to sound ugly or mean But I told you when we started this that this is a war. This is a war. And I got bad news. The Christian community ain't winning, guys. We're not affecting much of our culture. But our culture is affecting a lot of us. We see it in our kids. We see it in our homes. We see it on our TVs. We see it. And the best advice, the best thing I can tell you is that as you figure out your identity, who you are in Christ, is that you choose not, as James says, not to get caught up in the wars, the confusion, the battles that happen because the lust of the things of this old world causes us to want to compromise on the things that God says we can't. We'll have to stand like Daniel. We'll have to see kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. There'll be times where some of them will get it. 
There will be times when, when they won't. But that's not either for us to glory in or to shout about or to... It's to break our hearts. My goal is for every person in this room to walk out of here today and to have the most fulfilled life you could have. To do that means you've got to honor God. And I hope today I've said something. I hope. Because I'm getting really tired of seeing the same stuff over and over. I hope that somebody in here today wises up and realizes I can't win against Tiger Woods in golf. I'm not beating Michael Jordan in his prime in basketball. And I'm not going to take on God and expect to be victorious. But if you'll honor Him as God, if you'll see Him like Nebuchadnezzar saw Him at the end, if you can see Him like Daniel saw Him all through his life, that God will bless you. And it will be blessings you don't have to feel bad about or hide. Father, today, I pray, I pray that somebody understands what I'm saying and applies it to their life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I love you. Hey, why don't you go this week and give that devil fits? <laughs>